Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host Tiffen and I started this podcast because I realized that most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Julia Marsh, the co-founder and CEO of Sway, a California-based startup making regenerative packaging from seaweed as an alternative to single-use thin-film plastic. A few years ago, Julia and her partner Matt traveled all over the world to visit seaweed farms, explore regions most affected by plastic waste, and meet with biomaterial innovators across borders and backgrounds, with the vision of creating a truly regenerative future. They are now bringing this vision to life with Sway by developing seaweed replacements for plastic and have even been selected as finalists of the Tom Ford Plastic Innovation Prize, which is super exciting. So Julia and I spoke about the wonderful world of bio-based plastic alternatives. And by the way, bio-based means that a material is intentionally made from substances derived from a living or once living organism. She told me how Sway's approach has the potential to positively impact biodiversity in the oceans, but also the local communities on land and the climate as well. She also shared her recommendation on which types of plastic alternatives to look out for or avoid when shopping in supermarkets and how she thinks you can help address the plastic problem by bringing it up with your local businesses. I learned so much from our conversation and I hope that you will too. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? I'm Julia Marsh. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sway. We're a biomaterials company based in the Bay Area in California, focused on um, eliminating plastics made from petroleum and replacing them with materials made from seaweed. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And uh, <laughs> for everyone's reference, I've been following Sway for a while now. And yeah, what they're doing is amazing. And also really love them. I think you you have such a good visual identity as well. So it's a pleasure for the eyes as well. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <really> cool. <laughs> I have a background as a designer. So if the brand doesn't look good, it's a, it, it's a bad look for me. <laughs> <laughs> love that. <laughs> so the first thing that I wanted to ask you is, I think most of us by now are pretty aware of the negative impact and the problem of, of plastic pollution and the negative impact on the environment. But could you maybe give us a quick um, reminder or like an overview of the situation and in your view, what needs to be addressed as a priority? Yes. So there are two pieces to this answer. The first is um, when we read the headlines around the vastness of the plastic problem, it can become very overwhelming. So for the purpose of our conversation today, I'm gonna to solely focus on thin film plastic waste. That's bags, wrappers, pouches. There's five trillion of these types of plastics made and used every single year. 11 million metric tons of plastic make their way into the ocean this year, each year. And nearly 50% of those plastics are thin film plastics. And these types of materials are especially dangerous because they are easy to for animals to consume. Um, 
they never, never, never disappear. They, they de degrade into microplastics that last in our water and in the air we breathe forever. Um, and thin film plastics are make up such a large portion of the amount of waste in the ocean because they're virtually impossible to recycle. They gum up recycling machines. Only one to 3% of thin film plastics actually get recycled. The rest literally get bailed, sent to landfill, and oftentimes they will float out of landfill and into our natural spaces. So wow. that's the first part of the problem is just uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> the vastness of the problem, Mm -hmm. and the inability to recycle this type of plastic. The second challenge within this system is that many of the alternatives that exist today for those types of plastic don't perform well, they cost more, and they're still really reliant on petroleum-based inputs. So if you want to actually solve the problem, you need, you need innovation um, and mm -hmm. you need nature-based solutions to help sort it all out. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you for, for sharing that and for explaining it in such a, an engaging way. That was very powerful, what you said, I think. Um, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to touch on the, on the different types of uh, plastic alternatives, if you call them so, later. But one thing that I wanted to um, ask first is, and I'm going to quote you on this because I think it was very well written <laughs> on your website, you said that you traveled all over the world visiting seaweed farms explored regions of the world most affected by plastic waste and met with biomaterial innovators across borders and backgrounds. So, um, and I guess that was as part of the development of Sway, right? Um, so how, how did that lead you to where you are today? And maybe what are the main things that you learned along the way? Yes, so I'm glad you asked. My co-founder, Matt, who's also my significant other, fun fact, <laughs> we went on this huge road trip from Berkeley all the way down to Peru. We drove through every country in Central America and then Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. And then COVID hit, so <laughs> we cut our, <laughs> our trip short. But along the way, it was our goal to better understand the complexity of the plastic problem and um, not just understand it within the United States, but also internationally. And what we saw is kind of what I just described in that thin film plastics are the most difficult to replace. Um, oftentimes they're the most necessary types of packaging. They keep things hygienic. Mm -hmm. um, and in lots of places in this world, we just don't have the infrastructure to collect this type of waste. It can be a threat to human health. It can be a threat to tourism. It makes its way into natural spaces where there just aren't the resources to clean it all up. So it solidified this belief that we need solutions that can decompose rapidly, that come from nature, that are non-toxic, all those types of uh, <laughs> criteria. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also incredibly inspiring because we met with other innovators in this space in literally every single country. There are so many solutions. So mm -hmm. yes, recognize the, the reality and the vastness of the problem, but also don't lose hope because there's so many solutions. We met folks making leather from cactus in Mexico. We met folks um, making plates and bowls from banana stems in Peru and, and everything in between. Um, lots of reasons to be hopeful. Um, we're in good company. 
<laughs> I love to hear that. Uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, yeah, that sounds like it was a beautiful, a beautiful trip as well. So <laughs> I'm sorry it was to also hear it was beautiful. Cut, cut short by COVID, but um, yeah, it sounds like it was worth the worth the journey. One day we'll hopefully get to finish it. Our goal really uh -huh. was to get to the to the southernmost tip of South America. Okay. Oh yeah. Because they have lots of seaweed farms there. So. Mm -hmm. We'll get there one day. <laughs> <laughs> so when you so when you left, the idea was really to go on that kind of seaweed uh, research trip, or was that something that you kind of stumbled across along the way? No, it was part of the intention from the the beginning mm -hmm. um, to meet with seaweed farmers and biomaterial innovators. So yeah, I left that bit out. We we got to see different seaweed farming practices. What we love about seaweed is that it can grow on every coastline in the world, but there are twelve thousand plus species of seaweed and they're cultivated in different ways. So we were familiar with the cultivation methods in Indonesia um, in really shallow tropical waters, but in the Pacific, it's a totally different game. And there are land-based farms, there are ocean-based farms, different methods that we got to learn from and, and connect with researchers in this space to just better understand our supply chain. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Wow, that must have been so exciting to just... <laughs> Yeah, find learn and, and find out about all these different species. Never never met a yeah, never <laughs> met a seaweed farmer that I didn't like. They're they're all amazing people. They spend a lot of time in the ocean. So you, I think you gotta be oh yeah kind of a happy person. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine the effect uh, that has on you. Um so that's actually a nice segue um into my next question, which was also something you said actually, I think uh, on your social media that seaweed is not only sustainable, but also um, regenerative and that it has huge potential for impact to replenish climate stability, ocean health, biodiversity and livelihoods. Um, so I would love if you could, I would love it if you could expand on this and explain what you mean by regenerative and the ways in which seaweed can positively impact the planet. At Sway, we're fundamentally interested in designing materials that replenish the planet. And I think that's the easiest way of conveying what regeneration means. It's that mm -hmm. we are creating life in as many ways as possible and at every step of the value chain. So seaweed, I think, is the most emblematic regenerative feedstock because as it grows, it's cycling nutrients in the ocean it's providing habitat for biodiverse life, you know, in a similar way to how kelp forests are habitats for um, breeding populations and sea otters, um, regenerative ocean farms can also facilitate and encourage biodiversity. Um, you can buffer ocean acidification, you sequester carbon. There are all these inherent, very benevolent attributes of seaweed and seaweed cultivation. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, it's not contained to the ocean. It, it also extends to land. So the more seaweed farming we create, the more coastal employment opportunities there are for communities that have experienced the negative effects of climate change um, and need climate resilient employment. So there's a regenerative aspect on land. Mm -hmm. um, but it, seaweed's also just a really efficient crop. It's, it's, um, not input intensive. You don't obviously need arable land. You don't need fresh water. You don't need pesticides. You just need healthy ocean water and it grows. So mm -hmm. lots of reasons to invest in seaweed and look for solutions in that space. Mm -hmm. 
Amazing. And then can I quickly ask about um, growing seaweed on land? Because that sounds a bit intuitive to me. <laughs> Could you explain how that works? Is that is that big tanks where you have seaweed or is that that some species can, can yeah, how, how does that work? <laughs> uh, so an important clarification is that Sway prioritizes ocean farms. And today mm, okay. we only work with ocean farms because we only want to be giving um, more nutrient value to the oceans. Um, however, there are, yeah, many different methods of cultivating seaweed. And in some specific cases, it does make sense if there's already, um, um, high salinity in water that can be cycled into um, an aquaculture facility on land. Um, it can also be uh, valuable in, in a hatchery for baby kelp. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, those are kind of instances where it makes sense or yeah. where, and this is getting a little bit maybe too into the weeds, but <laughs> in some parts of the world, it's really difficult to get um, adequate permits to cultivate seaweed in the ocean but it mm -hmm. is possible to cultivate it on land. So in some cases, especially in California, it does make sense. Again, it's not it's not currently built in our model, but worth noting that there's lots of different ways to, to cultivate seaweed. <laughs> okay, amazing. Um, and then could you talk us through the process of creating your product from start to finish? So you start by, well, you <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I know, I'd like to hear your version of it though. That'd no, because yeah, because in my mind it was quite, you grow the seaweed and then what, how do you turn that into <laughs> some, an actual product? <laughs> but I, I don't know, so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> so at, at Sway, we use the naturally abundant polymers found in seaweed to create these thin film packaging replacements. Mm -hmm. um, when you go to the beach and you see seaweed on the shore and you pick it up, it's stretchy and it's kind of gelatinous, um, maybe a little gooey. That gooeyness is basically that natural polymer leaking out. Um, and I hope the next time that anyone listening goes to the beach and they pick up a piece of seaweed, they imagine how it's actually quite plastic-like. So we basically inspired by what nature's already doing, take that natural polymer, the carbohydrate, very specifically called a phycopoloid, and we combine it with other um, plant-based starches and sugars derived from wheat or coconut or corn, and we create um, films by extruding them out into sheets. So it's really just a, a quite simple recipe inspired by nature um and I could kind of get even more granular than that but it's, it's up to you how deep you want to go <laughs> no I mean I think that's uh, that's a good introduction to it um but maybe could you give a bit more detail into what the main challenges are or is it you know because I don't know in my mind maybe it's a bit like too breakable or in terms of yeah what are the main challenges you encounter with the with that process the primary challenges that we face are the actual extraction phase of mm -hmm. getting the phycocolloid from the seaweed. So this isn't part of um, the work we do in Sway. We work with suppliers who are very well established. Currently, those extracts, those phycocolloids, are used in the cosmetics industry. They're used in the food industry. Um, ice cream and toothpaste oftentimes use seaweed extracts as, as thickening agents. So. Mm -hmm. It's a really well-established process, but to meet the quantity that we will need to truly make a dent in the plastic 
problem over the next 10 years, that's going to be the bottleneck that Sway will be confronted with and, and peer companies will be confronted with. So that's the challenge. I can kind of walk through in a more linear way what happens. So the seaweed is farmed in the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's harvested basically by giving that seaweed a haircut. It's dried on the beach. Then the seaweed goes through a two-step alkali extraction process where the carbohydrate is separated from the seaweed. It's turned into a powder. We combine that powder with, again, other plant-based additives, as I described. And then those are extruded into a film and that film is converted into packaging. So mm -hmm. really everything is inspired by nature or the systems that already exist. And it's that middle piece, the biorefining piece that ultimately will be a, a big challenge for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. Well, that sounds like such... Uh, fun and and also it, it sounds very poetic I love it <laughs> I imagine maybe in the, <laughs> I imagine maybe in the day-to-day -day the challenges <laughs> are not as fun but it, it, yeah it does sound like a, a great um project to to work on so <laughs> oh that. I'm 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 happy yeah I'm I'm really thankful that the um both the solution and also the problem keep us mm -hmm. very very motivated yeah, yeah I can imagine um and so With that in mind, when do you think we can expect to see Sway products replace plastic bags and wrappers in our local supermarkets? In our in your local local supermarkets <laughs> in the UK? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe in the US first. So I don't know if you're <laughs> well, the wonderful thing is that Sway is not the only seaweed-based mm -hmm. biomaterials company on Earth. There are dozens of us. Um the concentration of seaweed innovation really is located in the UK. You have so many interesting and compelling companies emerging there doing similar work. And none of us have gotten to commercialization. I expect realistically, when you find it in your local supermarket, it's going to be about five years, realistically. Okay. But, but that doesn't mean that these materials won't be made accessible to you sooner. So What we're focused on at the moment is launching trials of our product, primarily in fashion and in home goods. Um, mm -hmm. The reason for that is that it's really simple packaging to start with. It's uh, it's not as risky as packaging food, mm -hmm. um, where you need a really, really long shelf life and you need that, that product to stay fresh. Um, so through the Tom Ford Plastic Innovation Prize, we're running trials of our packaging it's mm -hmm. exciting yeah congratulations on that on making the There'll finals be... right <laughs> yes yes it's, it's super cool but you know Amazing. within that prize there's five seaweed solutions including ourselves so mm -hmm. to anyone listening who's like I don't know about this whole seaweed thing I think it's a pretty good <laughs> indication that that these solutions are here and that mm -hmm. really major names are excited to see seaweed make their way into the mainstream mm-hmm Oh, I love that. And yeah, congrats again for, for making the finals. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, something else I wanted to ask is going back to that idea of the supermarket. I feel like nowadays there's a lot of options on the market that pretend to be sustainable in some sort of way. I'm guessing most of them are not, or at least not as you know sustainable as a regenerative approach to seaweed would be. Um, but maybe could you give us an overview of what is avail available now and maybe like a <laughs> one-on-one guide for people um, to understand the difference between biodegradable, compostable, recyclable, 
recycle I think we also see a lot of uh made from recycled plastic which is you know we're made to believe is a good thing which I guess in some way it is but obviously it's still fossil fuel based plastic so would you be able to yeah give us a a, a quick overview of of everything that exists now and how to navigate um the space as it stands today yeah this is complex I'll try to answer it in two pieces quickly Mm -hmm. the first piece is it is I believe the brand it's the brand's responsibility to appropriately match the material with the use case. So it doesn't make a ton of sense for a material that's going to come into contact with food to be made from a recycled a recycled plastic material because that material is getting contaminated and it won't be successfully recycled again. Mm-hmm. So in the hierarchy the second part of the answer in the hierarchy of priority in my view I, and I, you know i won't speak on behalf of the industry but in my view we should always prioritize first the package free solution does this thing actually need packaging mm-hmm. and as a shopper choose the package free things first mm-hmm. yeah. less material is the way to go yeah <laughs> um, the second the second would be um home compost to, mm-hmm. and and 100% bio-based if possible. So that's um, that can be paper and paper-based products. And it can also be materials like Sway where we're creating materials that can be mixed in with your food scraps or in your garden compost, and they're gonna degrade within a matter of weeks. That's like the gold standard. It means, it, but it's not a guarantee that the material comes from biology. So as a shopper, look for the home, home compost label, TUV Austria Home Compost. But then also, if you can, investigate the percentage of bio-based content or renewable content, because oftentimes these materials are not majority bio-based or renewable content. They're actually still derived from petroleum. Mm-hmm. After that, look to industrial compost. Totally, totally um, wonderful solutions exist that are industrially compostable. And I think that's why a lot of bioplastics have gotten a bad rep is because they're only industrially compostable and a lot of people don't have access to that infrastructure. But if you do have access to that infrastructure, it's totally fine. That's great. Um, and then after that, I would look at reusable solutions as well. So can, can this be reused in some way or can it be returned or can, you know, those kinds of systems. That's that's the criteria. With regard to recycled content, if there's a high likelihood the material will be recycled again, yeah, I put it kind of fourth on that, on that list. Um, mm-hmm. It's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And I can go into specifics, but I, I don't want to um, yeah. battle on too long. <laughs> Okay, no, but that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really helpful because it, it can be quite confusing. And I think that <laughs> hierarchy that you just shared um, is going to make things a lot easier for a lot of, I know for me, at least it will. So thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, another another thing I wanted to ask is why we wait for um, these beautiful regenerative solutions to be ready, um, which is said hopefully in about five years, which is great. I thought um, it might be longer. I think five years <laughs> is not, um, not that far away. Um, in your view, what can people do in their everyday lives to lower their impact on nature and biodiversity? So you mentioned already mm-hmm. um, this hierarchy, <laughs> ideally um, refrain from, from buying things that are packed in plastic, but is there anything else um, Yeah, that, that you think 
can have an impact from from what we do in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I think material consumption in general can be held to a similar set of criteria. So the first piece would be when you're purchasing clothing, opt for natural fibers, um, fibers that come from nature, because there's a highly higher likelihood that their supply chains, as well as their end of life, are going to be less destructive to the environment. Microplastics and, and microfibers are a huge issue. So that would be a big one for me. Just it's kind of hard to do, but in, invest in, in materials that are better for the planet kind of across the board. So clothing, as well as um, shopping local and, and choosing produce, again, that comes package free because it literally came from, you know, the, the, the a local farm and is going to have a smaller footprint. I think those types of purchasing decisions are a luxury for a lot of people, but they're really impactful. And then the second piece I would say is, I think oftentimes when you go to a restaurant or a food cart or yeah, just like local shops in general, it's not necessarily that these um, shop owners or business owners want to continue using plastic bags or wrappers or wasteful materials it's that they're not necessarily aware of the alternatives so i think there's a lot of like small individual activism of just literally being like hey did you guys know that you can use like a paper bag that's like the same price point and i don't know just like seeing how you can be influential in your local community to switch away from those more harmful pervasive petroplastics mm-hmm. I lo- yeah i love that because i i think then it kind of um yeah, I think as you said before, responsibility. It, it's kind of tricky always to find that balance of feeling like you can do something about an issue as an individual mm-hmm. and, and feeling like what you're doing matters, but then also the responsibility should also be, you know, with the corporations and the business. Totally. Owners. But it's 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 good to have that idea that you can do something about it if you want. And like I love this yeah. like <laughs> microactivism approach. I think that's a really cool. Yeah, thing. I mean. <laughs> Yes, it's it's like on Coca-Cola and Nestle and yeah. Pepsi and these major <laughs> brands to change to fundamentally change their mm. systems. But if you or I were successful in switching one food cart over to using compostable materials, that could mm-hmm. potentially be like a hundred plus items every single day that mm-hmm. aren't going to landfill. And that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. And then it's like you have to almost like push yourself to visualize that then it's maybe five turtles who are going to be saved right or like because it's <laughs> it's so hard to like feel so far removed from from you mm-hmm. know the impact of just like that one plastic bag but actually if mm-hmm. like if you look at the bigger picture it's yeah amazing well thank you for sharing that <laughs> um <laughs> something else i wanted to ask um on a more per- on a more personal note um the climate crisis and this kind of constant stream of bad news that we're being exposed to i think can be quite heavy to deal with um so i wanted to ask how do you manage to stay positive and where do you find hope yeah the vastness of the of the problems we're confronted with and the urgency for solutions can be really overwhelming and i think um I, along with my team, can be confronted with climate anxiety from time to time. Mm -hmm. But what keeps us motivated and positive, or at least 
optimistic about the future is that we are not alone by any means. There are so many innovators in our space and peer companies that are working on different aspects of the problem. And we spend a lot of time meeting with other organizations that either are massive and have committed climate teams within their, their organization that want to adopt materials like ours genuinely, or um, yeah, smaller scale startups like us who are fixing, you know, finding alternatives to meat or creating other alternative materials or creating alternative fibers or decarbonizing the grid or, you know, finding innovative ways of supporting and investing in biodiversity on land and in the ocean. Like, like there's so many motivated people. Oftentimes I feel super, super hopeful, super hopeful mm -hmm. for the future. So many solutions and you just kind of have to look. Mm -hmm. I love I love that and that's yeah really great to hear and I can imagine that it's almost like there's always two sides to a coin and you can choose to focus on on all the bad news but then if you look at what's happening on the other side it's also a lot of people mm -hmm. really trying to help and solve these big issues and that brings yeah. your hope yeah we also really emphasize collaboration we understand that really meaningful systems change doesn't happen in isolation especially mm -hmm. not with our our team of 10 so we prioritized <laughs> working with major NGOs, both in the ocean space and research space, in packaging, um, to find ways of, um, yeah, leveraging the science and the knowledge that already exists to inform our design decisions. And mm -hmm. I, th I think that that's something that's generally happening across the mm -hmm. industry, is that spirit of collaboration and willingness to just help accelerate the scaling of, the, of these types of solutions. Mm -hmm. yeah I love I love that and I've witnessed it as well and I think it's it's great and it's also something that's come up a few times with other people I've interviewed this idea that in that space this feeling that we're all in it together and that we're really collaborating and, and trying to, mm -hmm. to solve things I think um does really bring hope and, and yeah that's Amazing. nice to hear yeah <laughs> yeah I agree <laughs> yeah I've heard it a few times and I think yeah <laughs> I think it's really great um okay great and so finally who do you think I should interview next on this podcast? Do you have any recommendation? And what's the best book you ever read and why? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would recommend, um, I know a lot of folks in the seaweed space. So mm -hmm. if you're keen to continue the seaweed conversation, I can mm -hmm. recommend folks. But Amazing. I think um, if the focus is on biodiversity, I love the organization Suji and the Suji Project, oh, where yeah. they they bring biodiversity into urban areas. It's an incredible mm -hmm. model, and I'm happy to introduce you to the founder there. Um, oh, amazing. Thank if you. you're interested in <laughs> the reduction of methane emissions in agriculture, uh, there's a, a number of amazing seaweed companies, but especially Symbrosia, um, mm -hmm. which is based out of Hawaii, they grow seaweed to feed to livestock to reduce their methane output. Oh, wow. um, Interesting. <laughs> and, and there's a number of peer companies in the ocean space that I would also highly recommend, whether you're interested in an alternative to bacon made from seaweed or, um, <laughs> or you're interested in, in energy production happening in the ocean, um, kind of the list is endless. So we'll, we'll chat after the podcast <laughs> yeah. and see who you want to prioritize. But yeah, oceans and seaweed solutions. Well, I think... What happens oftentimes in the conversation around climate is, um, I think, unless you grew up on the ocean or in the ocean or next to the ocean, you don't have a huge understanding of what's going on there. 
And most people don't have the opportunity to, you know, go diving and see the underwater forests and the underwater gardens. And so a big um, goal of mine is to help share those stories and to showcase how the mm -hmm. ocean can be a source of so many solutions. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why you get my, my bias and my recommendations. <laughs> um, the best book I ever read, uh, I'll just share a recent one, All We Can Save, um, which is a collection of climate-related essays written by women, curated by Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, is my favorite recent read. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many gorgeous yeah. <laughs> words of wisdom in there. It's amazing. And it leaves you feeling hopeful because there's an index in the back. And it's filled with all these areas where you can meaningfully contribute to the climate crisis. And if you were to literally close your eyes and just point in the book, you would find <laughs> something that would directly tie your work in your everyday um, uh -huh. to, to helping combat the climate crisis. Okay, amazing. I will uh, look that one up because it does sound wonderful. <laughs> all we can save. <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Great. Well, that, that was it for me. So thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. It was a super insightful, insightful conversation, I think, um, full of um, blue sky thinking, but also very practical tips for people. So um, yeah, thank you for that. Thanks for having me. Have a lovely rest of your day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow us on Instagram at Why We Care Podcast for all updates, more stories and ways for you to take action. And if you want to help the podcast, I would be super grateful if you could also leave a little review on Apple or Spotify or maybe share it with a friend who you think might like it. Thank you so, so much in advance and see you next week. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love.